One thing that I do whenever someone joins a team, the first thing I ask is, where do you want to go? So there are people that want to go into venture, business development, marketing, or a tech transfer profession. Women in general, they feel that they have to be over-prepared to attack challenging problems. So one of the things that I like to do is to give these junior associates big, challenging portfolios. Just why does Northwestern University's Alicia Loeffler do this? Well, you'll find that out in today's episode where we talk about the importance of a university fully embracing innovation and entrepreneurship as part of its social contract, diversity in tech transfer and helping commercialization staff live up to their full potential. Alicia, of course, is the founding executive director of the Innovation and New Ventures Office, Associate Provost for Innovation and New Ventures, as well as the Associate Vice President for Research. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. To start with, maybe you can give us a bit of an overview of Innovation and New Ventures' work and perhaps some key figures. All right. So our uh, our job at the Innovations and New Ventures office at Northwestern is to bring Northwestern innovations to the market, to the public. Now, we also are tasked with overseeing or nurturing a culture of innovation and entrepreneurship at Northwestern. So we figured that if we wanted to promote innovation and entrepreneurship at Northwestern, if we wanted that to be sustainable, we needed to nurture that culture. So at Northwestern, we have about 21,000 students, 3,000 faculty members, and we figured that uh, the students are the agents of change. So we spend a lot of time thinking about how to spread the culture through the students. And we have done a lot of programs for students. We have accelerators. We have fellowships. We have curricula that is related to entrepreneurship. And one, one thing that has been striking is how the students have been able because they have this magnifying effect, right? So yes. they are multiplier effect. So they, can, they are able to get into the labs, they are able to promote the culture, and it has been extraordinary to see how, how fast this has been growing. Now, uh, going to numbers. So I'm not really fond of defining a, uh, an activity through the numbers because, as you understand, they are all lagging metrics. Of course, yeah. So... For, for, uh, it takes years and years to see the progress in translation and commercialization. But let me give you some numbers. So in the last year, we had about 626 patents that we filed. 120 patents were issued. We executed 187 agreements. And most of our activities in the area of healthcare broadly, most of the activities in the medical school and the engineering schools. Now, there are two numbers that I want you to remember about Northwestern because they are key numbers. One is our revenues, uh, our licensing revenues. And in the last five years, we had uh, $1.6 billion in licensing revenues. Now, this is a huge number, wow. but it is due to only one drag. And that drag was Lyrica, that it is marketed by. Pfizer. 
And the other number that it is important about us is the research enterprise that has grown 110% in the last 10 years. We're about $900 million in research now, but what's important is the growth. So our biggest challenge today is to manage that growth. Okay. Those, I mean, those are, those are impressive numbers for, for any university, but yeah, not, um, I, especially here in the UK, whenever someone thinks of, of, of America, it tends to be Stanford and MIT and no one really bothers with everything else. Despite the fact that there are obviously a lot of universities that do fantastic work, such as yourself. And, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's really great to hear that you have some very impressive figures there. How has the pandemic affected your work? Oh, yeah. So there has been a lot written up about how during recessions and crisis, entrepreneurship and innovation grows. And oh boy, we saw that growth. <laughs> and, that, and that has been, a, I mean, we are all exhausted uh, of, of all the work in the last few months. But it is just so rewarding to see how the faculty members, all the researchers are energized, trying to use whatever they know, whatever they tool they have to solve this problem. So we saw a, a high increase in the entrepreneurial activity at Northwestern. Let me give you some numbers. Uh, so we, uh, we saw an increase of 35% in the number of inventors compared with last year at the same time. 17% in the number of inventions. 50% increase in the number of startups. And this is the number which is interesting. An 81% increase in the fundraising of those startups, successful fundraising during this period. Wow. And this, yeah. So many of these deals started before the pandemic, but there are many, many that happened in the last few months, which is very interesting. Now, the other thing that was interesting about this pandemic as you said, you think about MIT and Stanford, and then you don't think about the middle of the country. So we are in Chicago in the flyover zone. And it is hard to get the attention of the blue chip VCs and investors. But we, now with society of Zoom, we are able to, <laughs> to, to, to get the attention of uh, investors from across the country. And that has been is side effect of this pandemic, which I hope it will continue after the pandemic. Now that we discover Zoom, but we will see. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've heard a few people say that that geo geography has evaporated for them. And I mean, if you mm -hmm. if you have to be on Zoom, even if the person is down the street from you, it doesn't matter if they're halfway across the country. Right. So yeah, yeah, that is that is a nice. And we thing. are now able to get great presenters, great, great speakers coming to talk to our faculty. Mentorship is easier. So it, it has been an interesting mm -hmm. experience. You, uh, you are the founding executive director of the uh, INVO as well. Can you give me some background as to what motivated you to launch that office? Well, so of course, it, this was not me. It was a, uh, in consultation and with the leadership at the university, right? Yeah, of course. So it was a confluence of factors. The first one was, as I mentioned, we had this great success of Lyrica that inspired many faculty members, researchers, etc. And also we saw the financial success, right? So that was one of the factors. The second factor was that we started recruiting these extraordinary researchers and faculty members that were not only 
excellent scholars, but also great entrepreneurs. And they came to the university with expectations of having some in infrastructure. So um, if we wanted that, uh, and also, as we mentioned, we, we are in the Midwest. So we figured that if we wanted to, uh, to have a repeat success, we needed to build an infrastructure that will be holistic that will help us move from the beginning of the research, do all the translation, and then uh, the transactions and the new ventures. Mm -hmm. So we had to put efforts in four different buckets. One, translational programs, educational programs or mentorship programs, spaces, and funding. So we had to build all from the beginning, and that's where we are. I mean, it's it's ten years later, and, and you seem to have uh, you've done a fairly good job of it so far. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. It, 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 well, so I have to say this: this is a complete team effort, right? So I, I have extraordinary people in my in in my team, and it is a very diverse group of people in terms of backgrounds, finance, marketing, business development, etc. So it's a team effort. Yeah, of course. Mm. Speaking of diversity, you are a woman in a tech transfer leadership position specifically. How do you think we can ensure more women reach the top? And I realize this is kind of, I, I don't want to put the pressure on you because I'm a white man and I would also be responsible <laughs> for making it happen, but. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, um, first of all, I should clarify that the tech transfer industry is a real inclusive industry, it's a, it's a real open in a good, diverse industry. And top, what does reaching the top means? It depends, right? What does top mean in tech transfer? One thing that I do whenever someone joins a team, the first thing I ask is, where do you want to go? So if there are people that want to go into venture, business development, marketing, or a tech transfer profession. Women in general, they feel that they have to be over-prepared to attack challenging problems. So one of the things that I like to do is to give these junior associates big challenging portfolios uh, that will put them out there and that will give them visibility and offer them, of course, tremendous support and, and guidance. Of course. But I want them out there to build their, their own networks and to build their visibility. So giving them the prime the prime portfolios for them to excel. So Amazing. that's one of the things that we do. Yeah. Amazing. Um, at, at the other end of the spectrum, I actually recently spoke with Nicole Mercia. When we're recording, this is not quite out yet, but by the time people hear it, it will have been about increasing the engagement of women faculty with TTOs. Is that a challenge that mm. you are also facing at Northwestern? How are you tackling oh. it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when I came, one of the things that I noticed is that there were zero women founders, <laughs> which was, uh, and, and I find it that very strange when yeah. knowing that about 50% of, of the faculty are in biological sciences are women. So I, I really wanted to understand what was going on. We didn't have data at the time. So we started looking at the data and trying to see where the gap happened from publication to the disclosure of inventions to getting engaged in doing the entrepreneurial activities. And of course, the gap happens at the, at the invention step. 
that's what we found. Okay. At the time, there were uh, there were about uh, seven, seven, seven to eight percent of the potential women were inventing at the university, which okay. is a very low number, yeah. uh, as opposed to about twenty five percent of the potential males. So there was a gap there. So um, we, uh, and this is a very slow process. So we started doing interviews, talking a lot one-to-one, trying to find out what to stop them from doing. And we found things that we all know is uh, uh, no time. They are in way, in way too many committees because they are the token women in the committees. They, feel, they felt that this was not for them, that this was something that it was not mainstream, that they were overwhelmed, etc. So we are talking a lot and offering a lot of mentorship. We okay. created many programs. Imboher, Imborich, Propel. But I don't think those programs are incredibly, they are impactful. Of course, the common denominator is to create safe spaces for the women to feel safe of asking questions and no judgments and trying to be able to practice, etc. But those programs are still not as impactful as the real policies, right? So one thing that I, I, uh, we did is to put a term in our license agreements and to force the startup companies to have to to hire women. Okay. And this was this was in uh, so the exact uh, phrase is to have a diverse management team that uh, reflects the makeup of the community at large. So uh, and this was a a bold step because. Most many people were saying, "Oh, this is going to make the licensees very nervous." But we found that actually, if you are a startup of Northwestern, we are reflecting our culture, and you should be able whatever it takes to to build a diverse team. So it has been working. Uh, we haven't seen the results yet because it's too early, but we don't get too much pushback. From that. I mean, that's yeah, good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you've kind of touched a little bit on on the next question I had. Big question, really. Um, what lessons have you learned in your time in tech transfer so far, and um, what changes would you still like to see? So, um, what lessons did I learn? So, um, Actually, more than less, what I learned is that, again, this is a very uh, great community, very generous with each other, like uh, with other universities. We, we are very, uh, very collaborative. I had a sense that things were going to take long. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to take this long. I came here for about two years. I am 10 years in. And it is much more fun than I thought it was. It is just uh, an incredibly rewarding industry. What will I change is, so tech transfer offices usually at, at universities are in, in, a, in a very unique space, right? The mission of the university is usually education and research. Yeah. The tech transfer activities are now integrating in the mission of the university because it's all about knowledge. You create knowledge with research, you spread knowledge with education, and with innovation and entrepreneurship, you apply that knowledge. So that integration has to be really, really close. It has to be really understood yeah. by, by the institution that, that 
it is our social contract to to bring this knowledge to society and it has to it has to be integrated so if if i could change something is that all institutions should be able to embrace this mission 100% otherwise it doesn't work you have to be completely committed to innovation and entrepreneurship at the institution that is i mean it that makes complete sense but i have a feeling we are we are a little bit away from from that still to be a reality everywhere yeah yeah the worst it could happen is that you are in some place in the middle that you are yes you are part of the institution but no you are not you are either out of the institution and operate as a as an independent entity or you are completely engaged with the institution but being in the middle it's not a good place that makes sense they've had that in um there was a um Imperial College London, they they set up their commercialization office as a separate entity and then they listed it publicly and eventually that shareholder interest got in the way and it got acquired by right. another investment firm and now Imperial is starting from scratch again. They've they've launched a tech transfer office internally again and yes yeah. yeah. somewhat of a cautionary tale. Uh, oh, absolutely because it because it, yes. Uh, it is very hard to run it as a business because we are talking about very disruptive technologies, very early stage technologies, and it it, it is you can it is not a very profitable well, yeah, <laughs> business yeah, if you yeah. run it as a business. And that it is our social contract. This is something that we have to do. We 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 use a lot of taxpayer money to do research, and we we should bring these technologies to the public. Yeah. And this is part of our mission. Yeah. Yeah. I think even before I, I got involved in this, I just as a member of the public, I always thought of the research in universities somehow making it out of the labs. I didn't understand how it worked, but I that, that yeah. was always my assumption. So yes, I can definitely see that from the university side, it's also something that they, they really need to be aware of, that it's not just the crazy okay. professor in a lab somewhere doing their thing yeah, and then yeah, nothing yeah. really happens yeah, with yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We we talked a little bit about Stanford, MIT, um, VC's investment um, and the Zoom culture. It might be slightly out of date now, but how important are initiatives such as Next Fund and a new seeds for an institution such as yourself, which is slightly removed from Silicon Valley? <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was mentioning. You have to do the holistic approach because we don't benefit from the e- the ecosystem, right, from the broader ecosystem. Stanford and MIT, they have a fantastic community around and they don't need to do as much work as we do in the Midwest that we have to build our own own ecosystem. So all these programs, translational programs, funding programs are essential. Now, uh, as I, it's not only important, the funding is per se, is not the important thing, is the know-how. So our translational programs involve mentorship, involves uh, coaching, involves the know-how, plus funding. And you have to have them both together in order to, for those to work. So for translation, we have, about, we have three accelerators, one for digital technologies and two for therapeutics. Okay. One is called New Cures, and that brings mentorship and funding. And then we have we are part of the Deerfield Partnership Universities, and 
We have an accelerator which is with them, which is called Lakeside Discovery. And that also involves a lot of mentorship and significant funding. I think is a are you one of the because Deerfield has some of a hundred and a hundred thirty million. They kind of so the all the all the agreements are now the same. So so we are all <laughs> we are they are upgrading all the we are all the same. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Oh, Deerfield has really stepped up in 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 translational funding. They kind of oh, they're, amazing what they're it doing. It has been um, it has been a fantastic experience. This is my favorite question, and usually people hate it. Um, what is your favorite company that's come out of Northwestern so far? <laughs> Tom, <laughs> that's like picking your favorite child. Uh, uh, it never ends well, right? So, <laughs> so um, I'm I'm going to give you one example of a company, and the the reason I'm picking up this company is because it's timely. And I'm not going to say it's my favorite because if anybody is listening, they will kill me. So <laughs> let me just tell you about one of our companies called Cybel. And this was founded by one <laughs> incredibly prolific entrepreneur by the name of John Rogers. And John uh, is also an extraordinary scholar. And he works on... Uh, integrated microsystems and and what he does is that this digital skin electronics well he does many things but the, this company has does this digital skin electronics with extraordinary properties and that can measure with high precision your vital signs health conditions etc so the first product had to do with babies and when a baby is born pre- premature you have to be hooked with cables and tubes to measure yeah. to to measure their vitals. And I was a premature baby, so that's why I like it. So the problem is that when you are all hooked up, they cannot. The mother cannot hug them. They cannot feed them. Also, the the, the skin is very fragile, so it breaks a lot with all this tubing. Okay. So with these digital sensors, are like little tattoos, very small, and they have they can monitor the vitals wireless. They have little antennas inside those those uh, sensors. So in that way, the babies now can be hugged and, and, and fed. So he extended this product to the third world, to the resource, to, to, to the third world, to the Africa. It actually, it's only Africa. Yeah, For, to monitor pregnant women when women are giving birth also to monitor all the vital signs. So these uh, women are away from any healthcare clinic, but they still can be monitored. And then COVID happened <laughs> and, uh, uh, and he has a new product, which is very important now because it allows the monitor monitoring the COVID patients when they are not in the hospital, but you still have to monitor the oxygen levels, fever, etc. So that's his company. Um, again, it's not the biggest, it's not the most profitable at, at the moment, but it is one that it is very timely. So That sounds amazing. I, I, the reason yeah. I, I like asking this question is, I mean, yes, asking someone who the favorite child is, is always a bit of a, of a naughty question. <laughs> But I like that it brings out stories like this. Uh, like it's, it's, yeah. it's and the, 
premature babies and, and suffering with the tubes and it's not comfortable and they kind of lack the human touch it's and then yeah. obviously creating a new product to use it for covid is is pretty awesome as well yeah um yeah that's yeah and there are so many things so many great things that uh that we have but this was just one example right my final question bit of an open-ended one is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about no, it's just uh, uh, probably stress the fact that it takes a team to do this. It is such an exciting time for us to be working on these innovations that that hopefully will rebuild the world yeah, fingers <laughs> uh, and crossed. rebuild society. Yeah. Well, Alicia, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to join oh, us today. Thank you. It's been a real thank pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs> Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hehlers. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email thehelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.